1: Welcome along to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the Derby County podcast. Thanks a lot for joining us. It's seven points in seven days for the Rams as back-to-back home wins finally helped put some pride back into Pride Park after those highly publicised off-the-field troubles. I'm your host, Chris Parsons. Hitting form before the international break next to me is Richard Kutcher.
2: Debatable form.
1: And uh, making his Steve Bloomer's Washing debut you know him from our monthly blog posts and also his strong Twitter game. It's Ryan Burton. Hello, Ryan.
0: Hello, gentlemen. Uh, Long time listener, first time caller.
1: This is the uh, this is this is your dream, basically, isn't it? You finally realised. You finally conquered the East Midlands footballing podcast world.
0: <laughs> that, that's it. I, I think I've peaked here. I think after this, we'll would uh, well, I well, will just have to start again. I don't think we we'll get any better here.
1: So, give us your uh, give us your credentials, then, Ryan. So, what, what what's your Derby County story? How did you find yourself following the? Uh, the roller coaster ride that is the mighty Rams.
0: It wasn't my choice, uh, believe it or not. Uh, my dad was a Derby fan, and as soon as I was out uh, into the world, the first thing I had was a uh, was a bib, uh, baby's first official Derby County bib, and that was it. the uh, The lifetime curse was set. So um, yeah, that's my story, and uh, I've been a, was a season ticket holder from the age of four years old before I moved to uh, Newcastle uh, when I was eighteen. So it's been a bit of a long slog, really.
1: So you're a Derby fan up in the north east. We're two Derby fans down in South East London. It's uh, not the most geographically appropriate Derby County podcast, but you know, it's a it's a it's a global, international, nationwide game these days, isn't it? What what does that matter? Derby is a broad church, I believe. Good. Correct answer. Um and final question for you, Ryan, what's your uh what's your favourite derby goal in your lifetime, would you say?
0: Straight with the hard hitting questions. Um I've I would say Will Hughes uh, against Brighton, playoff semi-final, it had everything. The occasion, the audacity, the dexterity and the certified 10 out of 10 limbs. Um, I, I flew down about 10 flights of stairs celebrating in the South Stand and it was just it was just incredible, it was euphoric, it was just everything but being a Derby fan. It's just typical as a Derby fan, I'm remembering a semi-final goal rather than a playoff final goal <laughs> but yeah, it had everything, like, it doesn't get any better.
1: Kutch and I were there for that one, and we uh, we can certify it was a good footballing moment, was yeah. it not?
2: Yeah, absolutely. In the south stand as well. So maybe you flew over, maybe you flew over our heads that day, Ryan. Uh, I'm sure it was one of those, one of those excellent uh, playoff semi-final nights at Pride Park.
1: So Steve Bloomer's washing is partnered for the season with Derby Brewing Company, Derby's original craft brewer, and has been uh, plenty to drink about since our last podcast, responsibly, of course. Uh, four goals, four points even if arguably it should have been six, uh, no defeats. And Kutch, after a distinctly average start to the season, is it fair to say that things are finally looking up for Derby County?
2: Well, definitely results-wise, they're certainly uh, looking up. I mean, Koku, even though his options have been kind of limited, uh, both through injury and through other um, other incidents in the last couple of weeks. I think that uh, Koku seems to have found a way to uh, get a bit more solidity, solidity into the team, and we seem to be just getting the rubber to green. To be honest, I don't think we're playing a lot different to what we were playing in the first half of the season and, and in August. Obviously, Brentford aside, but we just seem to be getting the rubber to green. Obviously, two um, relatively fluky goals on Saturday, which which have certainly helped us out. So the momentum seems to have shifted. Um, I can't put it down to one particular. Moment or one particular selection or, or change in tactics, so which is which is a strange one.
1: Uh, Ryan, there's no way to avoid it. Really, it's had a huge effect on the club and the mood of the morale on both the squad and the supporters. But Philip Cocu clearly wanted Tom Lawrence and Mason Bennett's football to do the talking, so he uh, picked both of them for Barnsley, and Lawrence started against Luton. Uh, was it the right call for you? If we're
0: talking from a pure football perspective then I'd say yes but from a moralistic standpoint no I personally think it's too soon emotionals are still running high emotions are still running high and the wounds are still quite fresh but what I will say is that if you're of the opinion that what they did was unforgivable and you're well within your rights to believe that and you believe that they shouldn't be on a football pitch again then what's the difference between putting them in one week later one month later or even a year later you have the opinion that it's unforgivable. So to be honest, it's 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 a double-edged sword. Um, for me, as I say, from a football perspective, I think it's the completely right thing to do. We're not blessed with options. I don't think we can afford to keep players like that out of the team. When And like it or not, Lawrence is one of our most talented players and he has the ability to win as matches, albeit on a very inconsistent basis. But Bennett possibly... We could live without, but Lawrence, we, we can't have him sat on the sidelines.
2: I think uh, from, from my point of view, it's 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 all about the optics. Um, I think the club got the optics wrong in the week. I think we all discussed in the last podcast that we all did think that we shouldn't just throw them on a scrap heap. Whatever happens in the court case, we should try and rehabilitate them into the first team eventually. I'd agree with Ryan. I think it was too soon. I think what it's done in terms of managing the situation is you've kind of got different stages of this process of of... of, of of how the how the club are perceived and how the management uh, look after the players um, over the process from the moment they were charged with drink driving up until the moment they're appearing in court uh, later this month and what's happened by selecting them in that in that part in between you've created another whole opportunity for outrage so after we beat Birmingham there's a really good feel factor feel good factor in, in the in the club um, we we managed to get that result without including Mason Bennett and Tom Lawrence we played well going forward and that is what they are they're both attacking players so it seemed really unnecessary for me to throw them in against Barnsley because then you've got the whole reaction the whole kind of good feeling around the club drips uh, drops down again and we're talking about things which aren't on the football pitch when we we just got back to talking about football and then the same thing happens you then release two different statements um, at different times which gets people talking again and it's all about off the field rather than on the field against against Luton at the weekend and then we're going to have whatever happens in court there'll be a whole fallout from that as well so I just felt they could have waited until after the court case then come out with uh, their punishments to the players and whether or not they'll be playing anytime soon.
1: This is the counter-argument there. I, for what it's worth, I actually agree with both of you two. I think it was too soon. I know that Lawrence won that penalty at Oakwell and he scored against Luton, albeit by accident. Um, but I still think we could have allowed a longer cooling-off period before putting them both back in the limelight, especially with those court proceedings hanging over both of them. Uh, but I found the timing of the statements a little bit weird. I mean, the club have done their bit. They've issued their punishment both players fined six weeks wages and given 80 hours of community and rehabilitation. I guess the uh, the court case will have been done and dusted by the time we come back for another episode Good. after the international break. Um, but with both players having apologised, the counter argument would be, Ryan, isn't it all time we try to move on?
0: We have to move on. Um, if we don't then it's got the potential to write our season off Like the, the campaign is challenging enough we have a new manager still trying to find his feet in a new league in a new country and we're 30 goals worse off because we lost Mason Mount and Harry Wilson I'm sorry to keep bringing it up but it's very clear that we're missing those players so it was always going to be a bit of a slog this season that's what a transition season is all about it's going to be a slog it's what it entails so we can't be adding more hurdles along the way the club has made the decision and we don't have to agree with it but we have to accept it There's absolutely no positives from dragging it back up. It's going to happen. It will come back. There's going to be opposition fans. They're going to be talking about it. It's just what it is, but we can't get involved in it. We just have to go back to basics and just start focusing on the football pitch.
1: At what point do you think we'll get to the uh, we'll get to a home game where the away fans don't sing Richard Keogh who should have walked home?
0: I I don't think there will be. It's going to happen all season. Isn't
1: it'll it will
2: happen all season, and if he if he comes back, it will happen next season. You know, I, I think it will happen for the rest of the season at our own matches. Um, probably by the end of the season, fans will forget about it until Richard Keogh appears on the football pitch, and that'll be what greets him. And you know, rightly so. Uh, I think it's a fair enough uh, fair enough chant. I mean, from from my perspective on kind of people moving on, we hear all the time, and we said ourselves on the recent podcast that we we trust Mel Morris, we we generally trust the way that Koku's handled it and trust is kind of like if you trust someone you don't just trust them when you agree with them you also have to trust someone you don't agree with them and the club have to look have been looking much longer term they're not just looking at this week's fallout or next week's fallout whenever they played for us there's going to be a reaction whenever Tom Lawrence came back he was going to get booed whenever Mason Bennett comes on the pitch he's going to get booed for the first couple of games at their back so maybe their thought was let's just kind of bring all that process forward and get now it over with
1: and, get it over and done with already
2: exactly get it over and done with already I, I still think you could have waited for after the court case because let's say for example the courts come down hard on them maybe they even have to serve a term or a suspended term um, then you're going to get a reaction again so personally i think you could have waited to after the court case but i also see the logic in getting out the way maximum fine uh, the, the thing about the statements was probably because there's lawyers involved who knows they will have different lawyers they might have wanted to treat the statements differently we do not know all the facts the club will know all the facts so if you trust them trust him and let him get on with it
1: anyway let's talk about some football because that's what we're here for uh, what about Derby to Luton nil then uh, Luton's manager Ryan Graham Jones said he reckoned it was a one all or a nil nil game uh, he said there was very little difference in shots on or off target uh, do you think Derby deserved to win despite both goals being complete flukes <sighs>
0: if football matches were one on stats with shots on or off target then the the, the table's going to look very different i'm sorry to bring a cliche cliche claxon time but there's only one fact that matters and that's the scoreline putting the ball in the net and yes both goals were complete flukes and but i think we did dominate large parts of the match whilst we weren't peppering their goal with shots apart from the 20 minute spell in the second half we looked very comfortable and of course it doesn't help when their star striker misses skies the ball from a yard out that was impressive but but um, you know we we played I'm not going to say we played brilliantly but we looked comfortable and I see where he's coming from but in the grand scheme of things the game played out like it was on paper it was a newly promoted team going to an established championship side and they struggled to make an impact so personally my derby hat on I think it was a fair result
1: Tom Lawrence's goal uh, Kutch we all know there are certain things he is good at he's good with the ball at his feet he's uh, good at shooting from distance but I don't think crossing has ever been one of his strengths really but it works out well for us because he had to he tried to drill one in got a technique wrong and accidentally smashed it in top corner
2: yeah and i've got no idea what the goalkeeper was doing for that either because it's not even like the goalkeeper kind of took a few steps out into the six yard box to anticipate a cross he seemed like he was actually in the right position to make a save and didn't quite get off the ground or get his hands up quick enough um yeah I mean it's it's one of those fluke goals you get a couple of them go in for you and a couple of them go in against you during the season and and this week we just got two in the same game in terms of the the one going underneath the goalkeeper's foot um so yeah we'll take take the luck when we get it we seem to be getting quite a bit of luck at the moment and uh, we'll move on
0: he it, it didn't seem to put much pace behind the ball it was a strange one like I, I play as a goalkeeper and sometimes...
2: Well, another like, another goalkeeper, buddy. There's <laughs> three of us now. It's not a goalkeeping pod, but it's going
1: to turn into one of <laughs> <actually. laughs>
0: So, you know, goalkeepers union, I like to think, okay, if I was in that situation, I can see what happened there. But it went in slow motion and it was a cross come shot. Tra- it's not as if there was too much pace on the ball. He didn't have time to react. He had enough time to react. And I don't know. I think it's just one of, one of those things until you're in a situation, you, it just looks poorer than it was, but he should have been keeping it out. But... I can't complain about that. We're not going to complain about it. We'll take
1: any goal we can. Nothing you can even really say at all about the first goal, uh, apart from the fact that you love to see it. Um, and just, and just he's like called a, Slug. A classic ball under the <laughs> And he was a record signing as well. You do feel for the guy, don't you? Um,
2: yeah, it's one of those ones where I mean it's it's definitely the goalkeeper's fault however as a defender you're taught when you pass back to the goalkeeper not to hit it on target because that kind of thing can happen and also it's quite a bobbly ball and again i'm not making excuses for the goalkeeper because it is awful it's happened to me before too many times to be honest but because it's coming back to him bobbling a little bit he's obviously lifted his foot up to try and catch it bobbling up and he's just misread it it's, it's actually gone underneath his foot so again you know we you can't legislate for that for, for them uh, but we'll, uh, we'll we'll take it again
0: very uh, Barry Roach esque, wasn't it? Um, not quite a coffee cup there, but uh, as you say, you just love to see it. Like when it's again, when it's not against you, you, absolutely love to see it.
1: Yeah. So, man of the match against Luton was uh, was Graeme Shinney, Believe it or not, not a name we're expecting to even mention in uh, in the starting lineup, let alone with being one of Derby's best players. Um, it, it seemed to me he seemed to be one of those players that Koku just did not fancy at all. In the first part of the season, he didn't really appear even in the squad. But I guess it's partly circumstance that he has found himself in in the reckoning. Um, Tom Huddleston having pulled himself some sort of ridiculous injury in scoring that penalty against Barnsley. So it looks like Shinny could be in for a run in the side. I mean, for me, I guess the result of this will be quite a stark contrast in the way we, in the way we play, in the way we build, because they're very different players. You're not going to see Shinny pinging left and right-footed 60-yard Hollywood balls all, o- all over the park. But then again, he never saw Huddleston smashing into people, uh, sprinting 40 yards, clattering uh, clattering midfielders and generally put- putting himself about. So what do you think Shinny adds? And do you think that him and Bielik can work in the same side together?
2: Yeah, I think he definitely adds that energy, as you say, that kind of box-to-box, box, which we've kind of haven't really got in the team. Dwayne Holmes is probably the closest thing to that but he's more of a, a player looking to move forward uh, shinny uh, there's a couple of moments in the first half where a, a defense and attacking move broke down and shinny was the first one to turn around and sprint back into position uh, it gives that gives you something extra it does give you that kind of busyness in midfield which lots of championship uh, midfields have but derby kind of missed since bryson was in his prime and, and jeff hendrick used to do a similar type of job as well so I think he adds that balance as well on the being a left-footed player, kind of trying to get the ball out to the left-hand side. Um, he's def- he's defensive-minded as he came through, I believe, as a left-back originally, so he should be at a decent presence from set pieces. Um, I just think he gives us a lot more, and in terms of the, the passing that you lose from Huddleston, uh, Baelic has got, although he kind of hasn't really kind of uh, performed as we hope he will do uh, yet, Baelic has actually got a decent range of passing. We saw that, um, I think, in the second half against uh, Luton on Saturday. He put a couple of uh, good balls out to the wing, so I really like that as a balance and if you put Dwayne Holmes in front of them I think that could be a nice midfield three.
1: I mean for me you look at some of the criticism of that selection and people complaining that you shouldn't play players like Shinny and Bielik in the same team at home like you know you shouldn't play two defensive midfielders at home but it's, it's, it's not that simple is it and I think in saying that you're doing Shinny a bit of a disservice really because the way they'll play is one will sit and one will go forward it's not as if both of them are going to be parks in front of the back four at all times, not moving and never getting beyond the halfway line. I mean, you saw Shinny chasing down a few loose balls towards the opposition goalie. Um, and I think, yeah, I, th- I think it could work. I mean, and four two three one and four three three are basically the same formation, really. When in in and out of possession, that's the only difference. So I don't think it is necessarily too negative because one of them will have license to go forward when the other sits.
2: I think as well, Shinny, a lot of people seem to misunderstand what Shinny is. Just because he's a left back, we all think he's more, uh, more defensive. And he probably has got a more defensive mindset. However, he is a box-to-box player. You know, No one ever described Craig Bryson as a defensive midfielder. They describe him as a box-to-box player. And I believe that's how Graham Shinny is, is, is meant to play when he's playing in, in the midfield. And that's how he looked like he was playing on Saturday.
0: He just doesn't possess the same quality as Tom Huddleston does, but that's absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm a big Tom Huddleston advocate. You could tell by my blog post, I'll always back Huddleston. I think he's one of the best passers in the league, and he's just got that panache. He's a Rolls Royce, he knows how to pick a pass. But And you can see why Kaku likes that. He has a lot of Dutch qualities about him, but it's the lack of mobility with Huddleston which can be frustrating. And what Shinny brings is that industrious approach and he is more mobile and as Kutch said he's got a left foot and he brings a nice bit of um it's the qualities that he has counterbalances very well with Bielik so I think it's a bit of a blessing in disguise this I think I found it very interesting in the post-match interview because Shinny said he felt like he was playing for his derby career it's 11 games into the season and the players coming out with a quote like that one I felt quite concerned about that because obviously he felt like well I'm not in the picture at all but He's been forced into the side and he had a good game and I think he'll only get better from there.
2: I think it's interesting that Koku's kind of the stars of the show in the last couple of weeks and it is only a couple of weeks if you think Curtis Davis uh, Graham Shinney and Chris Martin maybe Chris Martin aside he obviously didn't fancy Davis or Graham Shinney at the start of the season the first kind of eight or nine games and and he's been forced to pick them for varying reasons injuries and um, and Richard Coe's well injuries generally Um, and of course Chris Martin took a little while to get into the team but he did say in pre-season he liked a a big kind of hold up centre forward but he's kind of been forced into those selections and they really worked for him so there's two ways you can look at that one is that he got it wrong at the start of the season but two which I'd rather look at it as an, opt- as an optimist is he's kind of accepted he's got to play them and he's making the best use of, of the resources that he's got and he's kind of stumbled upon something which may may well work it's obviously only been one one game for Graham Shrine, but for me the uh the, the signs are promising
1: I mean that happens all the time it happens to teams at, at the top middle and bottom of all four divisions they No one goes into a season with with their guaranteed first 11 and stays with that 11 for 46 games. Like, you know, off the top of my head, it happened to us when, you know, under McLaren, when like Eustace got suspended or injured and Thorne had to come in and that turned out to be a great decision for a short period at least. So, yeah, it might have happened by circumstance, but I think it's something that happens to every manager in the league. And uh, he's rolling when the punches, which is as much as we can expect from Koku. At this stage. Um, so, after the short interlude, we're going to talk more about uh, Koku's similarities to a certain Gary Rowett side. Uh, of course, we'll be giving a mention to young Jaden Bogle, Curtis Davis, and the Chris Martin comeback tour. Continuing, and we've got a bit gold of gold in a month back in one second.
2: Hi, I'm Paolo Wenchop, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washington.
1: So before we move on, don't forget you can subscribe to Steve Bloomer's Washing. You can find us on iTunes or on SoundCloud or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, while you're there, give us a follow on social as well. We are at Steve Bloomer Pod on Twitter and we're on uh, Facebook and Instagram as well. So Barnsley 2, Derby County 2 earlier last week... Um, I must admit, it did take me at least 24 hours for the for the rage to subside after the uh, fury of conceding that la- that last minute equaliser. Given the amount of promising breaks that we uh, we wasted at two one up in the second half, uh, we watched the highlights back before we recorded this, Kutch, and we were just baffled at how you can concede a goal like that. Really, I mean, it, it was such a such a half assed attempt at closing down that short corner from uh, from Knight and, uh, and Bennett, who'd actually both come on a sub, so like tiredness wasn't. An excuse there, and then when uh, when the binding player gets a shot off, it somehow goes through four derby bodies on, on its way in, just a, an absolute sickener to concede.
2: Yeah, I can definitely vouch for your anger uh, on the Steedleman's watching WhatsApp group. Uh, I think Tom made a few jokes which you didn't you didn't really appreciate uh, at the time. Um, it felt like quite a quite a tense place to be. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I feel like when you've hung on for that long. And I think Jaden Bogle made an excellent goal line clearance, you know, just a few moments before equaliser. I just wonder if the if the defence and the and the team felt like they'd done the job, like that was that was Barnsley's last chance, and, and Bogle kind of got them out of jail. Because you're right, they do just switch off in that short corner, I and mean, it's so frustrating because, you know, we're not great at defending balls into the box, you know, not great at being organised at uh, high balls coming into the box. So then to to let them get away with a you know a pass straight from the corner, straight into the edge inside the 18 yard box, and. And Bennett and Knight just are stuck on their heels and don't get there, and then the ball goes through five bodies into the bottom corner. I mean, it's just such a such a sloppy uh, goal to give away.
1: I know it's a bit of a cliche, but more of an example of fine margins at this level. We had more than enough moves going forward on the break to win that game. I, I, I must have been at least three or four. It felt like in a in a fifteen minute spell towards the end of the game where it was getting really stretched and we were just penned in, but they were really wobbly at the back and we had clear counter-attacking spaces in behind. We didn't make the most of them. We dropped two points in injury time, but then on the flip side against Luton, we scored two fluke goals. We didn't do a huge amount else in front of goal, really, and end up winning 2-0, even though Luton also missed two half-decent chances. But despite that, Ryan, do you think it's fair to say that four points should have been six in the past week for Derby? Uh,
0: Absolutely. Uh it's, it's frustrating, but you would have took that at the start of the week. And um, I'm of the belief if you get a point on away from home, no matter who you're playing, it's a good point and away point is a good point. But as you say, when you go that long and you think you've gone through the motions, you've defended the set pieces, and then you just think, right, we'll wrap up the points. I I was, um, I, I was, I was commuting that day. And then when I, I checked my Twitter and I saw it was ninety plus three. I went, well, that's got to be game over. And then uh, I come, I go back onto Twitter, and then lo and behold, we've uh, conceded from a set piece again. And I, I said, like, free, there's free guarantees in life, death, taxes, and Derby conceding from a set piece. It is just week after week, and I just feel like there there must be something going wrong on the training ground because it's it's beyond funny now. Like people, we need to employ people who know what we're doing. It's not as if. We lack height. We've got enough height in the team to defend set-pieces. I just think it's down to loss of concentration. I'd, it's hard to put your finger on, but obviously if I could work that out, I'd have a job in the scouting setup. I'd be working for Derby. Obviously, people have paid a lot of money to make these decisions, but it's, it's just calamitous now. But um, as I say, uh, four out of six points, we would have took that. We're um, five points off the playoffs. We've actually lost less games than Leeds, so it's actually not bad. Two defeats in 11 games, five games unbeaten and not lost a game since August. So what crisis, I'm going to ask? I think if we had two... If it wasn't for the two missed penalties against Swansea, Swansea and West Brom and conceding late against Barnsley, we'd be six points better off and in the playoffs. So we'd actually be considered a playoff promotion contender, which is quite extraordinary considering we've been bang average this year.
1: I think it is a manner of some of the goals we're conceding. I think I'm sure I saw a stat which suggested it is something like nine or 10 out of the 15 goals we've conceded have been from set pieces, which is in, indicative of a, a worrying trend. Uh, but anyway, at the other end, Kutch, the uh, the Chris Martin um, Memorial Roadshow continues. Um, three and three after against Barnsley after, let's call it some, some generous defending. Um, I think it's the best way to uh, describe it. But given that he tends to struggle to last 90 minutes... Talked about the battery issue and uh, that Jack Marriott seems to be lacking fitness and a bit of form, let's be honest. Do you think there are enough goals in this Derby team at the moment to keep that upward momentum going, to keep the uh, unbeaten run going after the break? Yeah, Jack Marriott lacking
2: fitness, shock, horror. Um So, yeah, I think the problem with this Derby team, in the opposite way to last season, is uh, all the goal potential... Waghorn, Chris Martin, Jack Marriott are strikers, and we haven't actually got much goal support from from behind them. Obviously, Patterson has, has chipped in. Lawrence is, is capable of chipping in, uh, but as we know, uh, inconsistently. Whereas last season, the kind of the majority of goals came from Mount and Harry Wilson, of course, and Jack Marriott had 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 some good runs along the way. So I'm not worried if he can get if he can get two out of those three strikers into a team regularly, and any combination of those two, to be honest. Then I'm, I think well, the goals are there, but you don't want to be relying just on your strikers. You need to have goals coming from other parts of the pitch. And unfortunately, we haven't got that kind of guaranteed ten to fifteen goal a season midfielder like we had two last season.
1: Ryan, if you had to choose, I'm putting you on the spot here between to fill two spaces from the three of Martin Marriott and Waghorn. Who gets a nod for you?
0: On current form, yeah, Martin would have to be in there. there are no two ways about it. But I would also say Marriott the the thing that I don't have a problem with Wagon and I think he's a very good player and a good solid player at this uh, at this level but Marriott is a natural goal scorer get him in the box he'll score he's one of those he's, he's clinical he's a clinical striker And Martin just brings so much to the team um, i can't, I can't believe if it was a month ago and I could go forward and say I'd be saying this that chris Martin is crucial to uh, our season I, it's great to see um, he's coming back and he's like the old the Chris Martin of old and I can only welcome that
2: I think the problem with Marriott sometimes is I know he 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 is capable of holding the ball up and he is capable of good touches outside the box and he he does bring you energy in spurts during a match but I think he can be a bit of a luxury player and when you're kind of really digging in and grinding result yeah he could be that difference in if if one snap chance for example against Barnsley he might have been the player to have got that third goal uh, for Derby to kill the game off but I just don't feel like in these close games sometimes it can also be that luxury that we can't afford to have whereas Martin Wagon brings you that energy Wagon is probably a victim of his own versatility and his own work rate in the sense that managers both Lampard and Cock who can feel they can just get him in a team by putting him into that wide right position where he's kind of of like not wholly effective but he gives you a bit of a goal for it and he does work hard it's a really hard one but I think I agree with Ryan I think Martin is now the one that has the shirt as the focal point in attack and it's up to uh, Marriott or Waghorn to find a way to convince Goku to either play them as a second striker up front or probably put Waghorn out onto,
1: onto the wide side and what we've always wondered it's always been a complete mystery to, to what had happened to, to Chris Martin how did a how did a 20 goal a season striker for three years turn into a, a three in, in 50 game striker? And part of the answer, I don't know how much of a contributory factor it is, but part of it may be that he gave some really interesting quotes last week saying that he's been dealing for two years with a quite a serious health problem with ulcerative colitis, uh, which, which is a debilitating health condition which started with a stomach illness during his spell at Reading at the end of uh, Rowett's season. So... I'm not going to say that's mystery solved but if he's uh, got his health back in order and he's looking a lot trimmer these days isn't he Chris Martin maybe that's is that part of the problem
2: it it absolutely must have been part of the problem Um, I think it's uh, similar to what Darren Fletcher had at Manchester United and he struggled for a couple of years and Man United found it hard to kind of get the treatment right and how to manage him in that same interview with the Football League paper that Chris Martin gave he also said that you know it's not it's not gone away it's something that you basically now live with and you've got to manage it so it's probably taken him and the Medical department at various different clubs, Reading, Hull, and Derby, a long time to find the right way to manage him, and it might mean he has to drop out of training. So I think from time to time so cocky will probably have to manage chris martin in the same way that he's obviously got to manage jack marriott for, for varying reasons so i mean fair play to chris martin he got a lot of stick from some derby fans probably from ourselves um over the years for maybe kind of going off the boil not working hard enough uh but it just it just goes to show that you just you, you never know the full story with players you never know the full story as to why they might
1: be in
2: and out of form so so good luck to him and it's, it's great to have him back
1: but a few changes Throughout the Derby sides, to be fair, in recent weeks, one player who has returned and it's been so good to see him back is uh, Jaden Bogle. It's just it's frightening almost how much he's improving, how 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 much better he is from this time last season when he had played what fewer than five actual professional games of football. Um, You look at the way he plays; his he's so good with his feet, like he's he's so good in tight areas. He can. I feel like he's really good at anticipating other, the opposition now. He's really good at um, closing down space. Um, and he's like, he's such a threat going forward as well. There's a clip that someone put up online. He had Luton's um, Luton's left back on toast at times over the weekend. He, I think he, he nutmegged him about three times in the first half an hour. Um, and it does raise a question, which which someone did mention on on social media. He's so good going forward. He's so good with his feet he provides so many assists, he chips in with goals. Is there an argument to say you could push him even further forward? Maybe stick him in as a auxiliary right-sided midfielder and, and get Andre Wisdom in or someone similar right back instead?
2: I mean, me personally, absolutely not. I think it's a ridiculous idea. Um, in this country, we seem to be obsessed with pushing defenders into further forward positions because they show a bit of promise going forward. People tried to do it with Rio Ferdinand as, as a defensive midfielder when he first came through, which was ridiculous. And the way that football's going is that the fullbacks are the most kind of... Um one of the most valuable attacking weapons that people use on the pitch so because they have that space in front of them the wide player can go inside and Bogle can get forward I just don't know why he'd muck around changing his position I think he would be a great right wing back if we were to play three at the back go five three two Um, I think that's fine but I I see no purpose in in moving him forward he's really he really has improved his defensive side and you know what if he was playing a lot further forward on a you know right side of a free a front free but he might not have that kind of same space and a lot more pressure would be on his on his Final delivery, so I think leaving where he is, he's developing nicely.
0: I'm going to echo everything that Kuch has just said there, he's completely right. It is, we do have this obsession, as you say, if a player can show attacking promise, it's like, well, we best move them up forward. But it, it was interesting yesterday, and you'll see clips of it, but Jaden Bogle. Drifts inside a lot, and you could see that the left back didn't know what quite to do with that do, do I trek do, do I track him or do I let my center half come out to him he, he just opens up a lot of avenues, and it was also interesting. I know that he has had a lot of stick, uh, but Joseph Soon did seem a little bit better yesterday um he was getting into his positions more, but the, the issue was obviously he couldn't he, he couldn't connect with his shots, and he, he just he's looking like a poor football at the moment, but when Bogles come back in the side, Joseph Soon's looked quite good. In the side so I like Bogle but if you turn him into a, if you convert him into a right midfielder then you take away a lot of his game as you say in modern day football now it is a case of the, the, the right back or wing back if you are they are one of the most attacking valuable outlets so the winger goes inside pushes it out to the full back and the full back puts to the crossing but his crossings getting better with each game as well I think so the sky's the limit for him. Uh, when he was linked with a move away, I said we can't. That so he's irreplaceable. And that little spell out where we had to, where Max Lowe came in and deputised and did a really good job, to be fair. But we lost a lot of uh, a lot of our attacking threat, so we need to keep hold of him.
1: The Derbyshire Cafu. Let's hope his uh, his improvement continues at the same rate. And I just wanted to find out from both of you how you've rated Curtis Davis's performance since coming back into the team. And we haven't lost with him in the side on the one hand, but we have conceded four goals in three games on the other. I mean, we said on the last podcast, he's a defender's defender. He's a blocker. He's a, he's a header and kick it sort of a defender. He's adapting to the way the cocker is playing. I mean, he did uh, in the Barnsley highlights, he did lose his man for Barnsley's first goal. And he was one of the players in that line of four, who maybe could have cleared it for the the second goal. But I think one of the good things about him is that his influence isn't always in a, in a, Strictly footballing sense Like he's a talker Isn't he He's a leader He'll guide Bielik through games He'll help guide Lowe And Bogle Through games Do you think he's Adapting to being Back in the first team As well as you'd have uh, Anticipated yeah, absolutely. Um, I think he's been a, a consummate professional,
2: as you'd expect from Curtis Davis. And I'm sure that he naturally does bring a, a little bit more organisation and composure to that back four. We kind of praised him on his return uh, against Burnham City, although we, we did concede two goals in that game. Um, but there's other defensive and structural problems with the team, I think, which is, isn't only down to Curtis Davis. I was surprised to see yeah, the nature of the two goals we conceded at Barnsley because Davis could have had an influence on on both of those, uh, but it's not just down to him. But for me, that the team is definitely uh, definitely better with him in it, and I'd love to see him and Matt Clark given a run. I'd I'd love even if one of them has a couple of bad games um, or has individual mistakes. I just like Koku to try and settle on a back two and and preferably a back four as well, uh, and that would really help. I can imagine Matt Clark would probably really love playing alongside someone like curtis davis and it also gives you like we said about shinny it gives you a nice balance left foot right foot uh center half parents
1: goal of the month time now uh we meant to do this in the previous podcast but i forgot yeah, that's that's my main excuse um goal of the month is sponsored by the brewery tap derby's iconic victorian pub of 10 real ales and a growing range of uk craft beers so what we're gonna do here ryan three goals three of us um I'll give you the three goals you can tell us your favourite first. Um, what I did find weird is when the club did this, they for some reason they put in Scott Malone's goal v Cardiff, which is literally one of the worst goals I've ever seen. I don't know how I got in there. Uh, but the three goals you got to choose from, pick one from this list, were Chris Martin against Leeds, uh, Martin Waghorn against Birmingham City, or Jamie Patterson against Birmingham City. Which one is the best goal for you?
0: Without a doubt, Chris Martin against Leeds. Um... It was just we we got battered for that whole game, and it didn't look like we were going to come away with anything. But as soon as Patterson got the ball, played it to Martin, it was just it was just a nice a nice little move. And it was you know obviously we were joking about it, it was a like return of the king, Chris Martin, Scott. But it was a it was a death finish. It was it was a classic Chris Martin. It was uh, it was cool. It was slick. It was composed. And uh, obviously it's Leeds. anytime we score against Leeds, I'm gonna I'm gonna be picking that. So it could have been Scott Malone against Leeds. I'd have been picking that, but the goal was a nice goal as well. So absolutely, Chris Martin against Leeds.
2: Yeah, that was, it was a great goal and I think it was a great move, you know, from back to front from the halfway line with Max Lowe and Jason Knight involved as well um, before the nice little turn from Patterson. I'm going to go with Martin Waghorn uh, though against Burnham City because again, echo, echoing Ryan to be fair, classic Chris Martin but in a different way. You know, he got the ball on, in the left-hand channel. He held it up. He knew he couldn't beat his man and it was just such a perfect pass on Martin Waghorn. He didn't need to break stride and it was a, a really important goal in that game. So, for a different reason on the Chris Martin scale I'm going to choose the uh, Martin Wakon the the Blues.
1: I'm going to have to side with uh, with Ryan on this one. I think the the Chris Martin's assist for Wagon's goal was was really dreamy. It was uh, the the weight of the pass was just uh, delightful, but I think the fact that that goal came from a, a calamitous slip at the back for Birmingham I think means that um the build up in the Martin v Leeds goal edges it for me. It's a lo- lovely bit of the way Martin brings it in, a bit of chest control to, to get it down, sticking low down the right. And then the one-two from Max Lowe and the way he just about keeps it in and then drills that right-footed crossing with his wrong foot before Patterson does a little step over and we all know what happens after that. It was a absolutely brilliant goal. Like genuinely excellently built team move so uh sorry coach but it's it's two votes to one
2: i think i actually gave it to chris martin in my uh, in my monthly
1: write-up so i I don't feel too bad there we go so chris martin wins gold a month for us before we wrap up the podcast for this episode we're going to attempt despite the the barrier of technology to do a, a guess the 11 contest between myself chris parsons and first time podcaster ryan burton how do you fancy your chances in this one ryan how's your memory for uh, previous rams lineups
0: i'm i'm, I'm not confident <laughs> um, i hope i uh, hope the nerves don't get the better of me but um, i think I, I might be able to on my own we'll see we'll see how it goes
2: are you more on the richard cutcher scale or the tom martin scale of memory because my memory is awful i mean you
1: can't actually remember what you had for dinner like last night or or who we played at the weekend so i had a
2: dairy milk bar last night for dinner You sure about that? I think so. Good. (laughs) Nutritious. All right. Well, the game um, game we're going to go for was Tuesday, the 17th of May, 2016, away at Hull City, second leg of the playoffs. Derby won 2-0 on the night, but went out 3-2 on aggregate. I think we'll let Ryan go first. So, as we did last time, name the... Name in 11. If it's a player that came off the bench and played, that also counts, and you'll get one, you get a yellow card for a wrong answer. So the first one to get two wrong answers is out. So, uh, Ryan, who are you going to go for first in Dar- Hull City nil, Derby County 2?
1: Johnny Russell. Johnny
2: Russell did start. Uh, Craig Bryson. Bryson started as well.
1: Missed a sit in that game, didn't he? Uh,
0: Richard Keogh.
1: Keogh, yeah, started. Uh, Jeff Hendrick,
2: another starter. Lots of starters done. One of only two players from Derby to get a booking that night.
1: Good fact.
0: <laughs> Will Hughes,
1: another starter for the Rams. Ryan, you're looking intently at something on the screen now. I'm gonna to have to trust you that you haven't just googled the lineup in this, <laughs> <laughs> and you ruined the sanctity of guesty eleven. Uh, it's you saying Will Hughes, um, Cyrus Christie. Yep, did start at right back.
0: Craig Forsythe.
2: Oh, Craig Forsyth oh. is incorrect. He wasn't even on the bench. So, one yet. That's a yellow card for you, Ryan.
1: Does that mean if he didn't play, it was uh, Marcus Olsen instead?
2: Marcus Olsen did start, correct. Yeah. Ryan, you got to get this right to stay in it.
1: We'll
0: go Scott Carson.
2: Scott Carson in goal. And I should remind you, you can name Whole City players as well, so don't worry. Carson. Not bothered about that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um have we said Chris Martin? We haven't said Chris Martin. Chris Martin. Correct? Getting down to the, down to the business end now. <laughs>
0: I'm I'm gonna bottle this. I'm gonna go into the whole team because I, I can't lose, so we're gonna go Tom Hodleston.
2: Tom Hodleston st- did start that night, correct? Curtis Davis, brackets, four whole city. Oh, for whole city. Correct, did start. I was about to say incorrect because so I couldn't find him in the derby lamp.
0: Okay.
1: What about Sam Klukas?
2: Sam Klukas appeared
1: in the 92nd minute. Oh, hello. That's naughty. (laughs) I know he scored in the first leg, so I'm going to say uh, Andy Robertson. Andy Robertson is correct, and he scored in the second leg, an own goal. I mean, right, for the the benefit of those listening to this as a podcast, Ryan Burton currently has his head, his hands on the back of his head (laughs) in a a moment of, of anguish. I think I've got him on the ropes here. He's running out of ideas.
0: Okay, um we were going to go with Jakubovic in net
1: correct good shout good shout there's two more derby, at least two more Derby starters to go to get. yeah, yeah. so we said for Derby Carson Olsen Christie Keogh. Uh the other defender must have been Jason Shackle correct the other booked player for Derby that night
0: oh, okay I'm gonna yeah you've got me on the ropes here but I will give it a go with Mason Bennett
2: no, that is a second yellow and a sending off. Oh, not, it's all over. Not even in the squad. So other answers you could have had was um, Kamara came on for Olsen in the 90th minute. No wonder um, lost. <laughs> did one of you say Johnny Russell? He's Ryan yeah. said that. Start yeah, off. so yeah. Darren Bent yeah. came on for Johnny Russell. And then Andres Vyman started with Tom Ince coming on for Vyman in the 60th minute. Um, other notable players and former Rams for Hull City, um, Jake Livermore. Uh, started the game, um and obviously there was a uh, Snodgrass, Hernandez, Diame, Dawson, uh, and a few others as well who aren't
1: uh worth pronouncing. You do forget that Viman actually played for us, don't you? Like I've, I've pretty much erased that 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 period from my memory. <laughs> I'd have him <laughs> back. I'd have him back. Yeah, I'd have, he'd be a good option in a in a front three for Derby at the moment. We're short in that area. Well, there you go. I'm I'm just glad I've got a victor under my belt because it might be the only one I get this season. Um, hard lines Ryan happens to the best of us but I'm sure you'll have plenty of other opportunities to uh, get off the mark this season Um, so we will return for the podcast after the international break we're off to the valley aren't we for our first, uh, for well not our first away, but um, another easy away game for us. Very easy, literally about a 10 minute walk down the road I think. Very much looking forward to it. And then uh, we're off to Hull as well for my birthday, which I'm sure won't be ruined at all by what happens on the pitch. No, never. Uh, but we'll be back after the trip to Charlton in a couple of weeks time. Enjoy your international break, whatever it may bring. Ryan Burton, thanks for joining us. Enjoyed your debut podcast.
0: Been a pleasure. Um, it's definitely on the highlight reel of my life so far. So thanks for having me on.
1: Can't tell if you're being sarcastic, but I'm going I'm to pretend you're not. <laughs> uh, Richard, thanks to you, as always. Thank you. And see you on the other side of the valley. Come on, you Rams.